Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. We did want to have a, to open up the Word and, and uh, talk about Christmas. So if you open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at a pretty familiar passage for a few minutes, and, and let's go ahead and turn the lights off, if we could, as we turn here. So this is a famous, uh, it's, you'll, you'll be familiar with this, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is kind of a coffee cup, Christmas verse. Uh, some of you, I would not doubt, uh, you have a, a grandmother or an aunt in your life that every December she gets a cross-stitch pillow or a cross-stitch wall hanging out that has Isaiah 9, 6 on it that says, for unto us a child is born. You're familiar with it, Right? Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And so we're going to talk about that, but I want to put that verse, to begin with, to put that verse in context, because I've been studying this passage, the context has brought so much color to this verse, because When this prophecy was promised, when Christmas was promised, it was during the reign of a king of Judah, and the king's name was Ahaz. And and history tells us that Ahaz was a very wicked king. He was a terrible king. And if you read in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8, and you can cross-reference it with the story in 2 Chronicles and 2 Samuel, I believe, it's, it's Ahaz is faced with the choice to trust God or to trust in his political alliances, to trust God or to trust politics. And so this wicked king chose to trust in his political alliances, not to trust in God. And the people that he chose to ally himself with were the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are known, and it's pretty, it's pretty well documented, they were, they were also a very wicked people. In fact, up to that time in history, history would say that the Assyrians were the most powerful people that had ever lived. They were also the most violent people that had ever lived. And those two things are really a terrible combination. Powerful and violent. In fact, I brought a quote from one of the kings of ancient Assyria, and he, you can read this in, in the history of Assyria, but you can, you can go into Asia today and go into museums and see their exploits that they found in artifacts of, of walls around their cities in these museums to talk about just the punishment they would do to their enemies. And this one king at ancient Assyria said, I let the leaders of the conquered cities be filleted and clad the city walls with their skins. So that was the climate, that was the, the tenor, the note, the culture of the Assyrians. They filleted their enemies and they decorated the walls around their cities, their cities with their skin. And King Ahaz put his trust in them. When his enemies were coming, he asked for help from them. And long story short, the Assyrians ended up conquering Judah. And that gets us to Isaiah chapter 8. And Isaiah chapter 8, that ends with this verse. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. What would it be like 
to see only distress, to see only darkness, to see only the gloom of affliction. That's, that's where we're at at the end of Isaiah chapter 8. It's like they can't see anything else. So we've been in a, in a kind of a dark room for just a couple of minutes. Darkness is characterized by, it's, it's hard to see, right? It's, it's hard to see which direction to go. It's hard to see if there's danger right in front of you. If this room was completely dark, you wouldn't know if something unsafe was right in front of you or not. And so darkness can, can be scary. I remember talking to a man in his 80s one time who had recently lost his wife, and for the first time in, in 50 plus years, he was living alone. And he said he was struggling with fear of the dark again as a man in his 80s. There's fear that comes in the dark. And so here we are at the end of Isaiah chapter 8, and it says that the people, all they could see, they could see only distress. They could see only darkness. They could see only the gloom of affliction. There wasn't anything else they could see. That's all that their vision was. That would be like last night. If you were here for the baptism service, it was so beautiful. It was so awesome. And what was so beautiful about it was the stories of redemption. We had 25 stories last night of God rewriting people's stories. What would it be like to come into that meeting last night and to only hear about addictions? And to only hear about death, and to only hear about cancer, and to only hear about shame and sexual immorality and all of the brokenness that we heard last night. And that was it. Just darkness. Just distress. Just gloom. And then the last phrase of that verse says that they were driven into thick darkness. So it like doubles up. So it's not just darkness. It's they're being driven into thick darkness. What is that like? So it's not just like, okay, I, I'm struggling with my class and I'm a little discouraged. It's like, no, this is like thick, thick, heavy, oppressive darkness. It makes me think of when I was a teenager and we used to go to the lake a lot and we would play this game at the, at the dock that we would have our boat at and we would play this uh, game called uh, tag, like dock tag or leg tag. And at that dock, if I remember right, there was five slips on either side of the dock. So there was 10 places for boats to park. And then at the end of it, there was, a there was a large swimming dock. And we would play, me and my friends, my siblings would play tag on that. And it was so fun because you could go underwater and it was murky, the lake was murky, and so you could swim under the dock and into different slips, and nobody knew where we were going to pop up. And a couple of these lifts that would lift the boats out of the water in the slips, if you got underneath them, there was pockets of air. And so we figured out how we could swim underneath these lifts and breathe for a while, and people couldn't, now it's kind of risky, because if whoever was it popped up in there with you, it was really hard to get away. But man, it was pretty cool at the same time. And so one time we're playing this game, and I, and I swim under the water to go underneath the boat to get away from whoever was it, and I didn't want to go all the way under the lift, so I tried to go in between the boat and the lift, and about halfway through the boat, my whole body is under the boat, and my ankle got caught in the lift. 
And I pulled on it, and I couldn't get it loose. And my whole body was underwater, and nobody knew where I was, and nobody was, would be concerned if I didn't come out of the water. And I remember having a panic moment. And I was like, what if I can't get my ankle out of this lift? And I kept trying, and I couldn't get it. And finally, my ankle came free, but right about the time my ankle came free, my, my lungs gave out, and my body just reacted, and I opened my mouth, and I just inhaled, and I just inhaled all this water as I'm just swimming up towards the top of the water, and I came up hacking and, and coughing up water, and then we went on playing our game, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it wasn't until later on I was thinking, wow, that was, that was kind of dangerous, <laughs> but that moment, that moment of me stuck, I couldn't go down, I couldn't go up. I couldn't go forward, I couldn't go backward, and my, the air was, 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 I was losing oxygen, and it was thick, it was heavy, and Isaiah 8 says the people were being driven into thick darkness, and some of you, I'm guessing that you feel that in a spiritual way in your life, that it's not just discouragement, but it is heavy, and it is, it is pressing against me. The things that, I've, that I'm struggling with, or the things that I, that I can't get away from, or the things that I'm look, looking forward to when I go home for the break. And so that's the context of the Christmas promise. And so then we get to chapter 9, verse 1, and here's the promise, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to the Galilee of the nations. Not going to talk about verse 1, but I will say Zebulun, Naphtali, the land east of the Jordan, that's where Jesus had his ministry. That's kind of cool. 700 years before Jesus was born, this Promise was spoken, talking about this land was where Jesus went to do his ministry. And then verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Okay, let's turn the spotlight on. That is the message of Christmas. That in the midst of great darkness, in the midst of all I can see is distress, in the midst of all that I can see is gloom, in the midst of I'm being driven into the sick darkness, I don't, there's no way out for me, I don't know what to do, and then God speaks into that moment, moment and promises light. That's Christmas, that's the promise of Christmas, it's light dispelling its light, displacing the darkness. And sometimes I think, so we, I don't know if you can see it, but we have a nativity scene up here. And sometimes I think that if we can get to this moment at Christmas, so we're doing pretty good, right? If we can get past all the Hallmark Christmas movies and we can get past Elf and we can get past Santa Claus and we can get past the Christmas lights and we can get here to the nativity, we kind of feel pretty good about ourselves, kind of pat ourselves on the back. But if we could peel back the physical world 
and see into the spiritual reality at that first Christmas, I think we would see something that would blow our mind as light was colliding with darkness for God to make a way for us to have hope. I mean, the enemy incited King Herod for crying out loud to come and kill all the baby boys two years and younger. That was part of that early Christmas. One of the sounds of that first Christmas was weeping and wailing. There was a great cost for Christmas to come. For light to begin to pierce the darkness. And so Isaiah 9, 700 years before this moment when Jesus was born, this promise is given. This promise that light is going to dispel the darkness. That's the context and that's what has my heart so stirred this Christmas season. Let's go ahead and turn the lights back on. And I want to I just walk through these verses and get us up to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. So can we go ahead and turn the lights on? Or we don't have to. Isaiah 9. So we read verse 1 and 2. We're talking about light. And when light comes, when, when, when the king of light comes into the world, we see in chapter 9, verse 3, also you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. And so this verse, the, 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 the key word in this verse is joy. So rejoice, rejoice, joy. But the, 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 what's bringing joy, one commentator talks about how what's bringing joy in verse 3 is the antonym of the, of the most elemental fears in the human life. And so that first thing that brings joy is you have enlarged the nation. In other words, you have given me a home. You've given me a place to stay. And so that's, that's the antonym of the fear of having no home, of being displaced, of having no place where I can be safe. The second thing that brings joy is the harvest time. That's the antonym of being hungry. And so when, we are, when our stomachs are full, it brings joy. The third thing that brings joy there in verse 3 is the dividing of the spoils, victory, and, um, and, and just, just ha yeah, having the spoils of, of victory. And the opposite of that is just the fear of being enslaved, of, of having nothing. And so what we find that when light comes and when light pushes back the darkness, one thing that happens is joy replaces fear. That's what happens with Christmas. Joy replaces fear. Verse 4, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor. By the way, the Assyrians were famous for bragging about the yoke of slavery that they would put on their captors. And here in verse 4 it says, for you have shattered the yoke. You've shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. So not only when light comes, not only does joy replace fear, but also freedom replaces slavery. Freedom replaces addictions. Freedom replaces oppression. Verse 5, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So here's, here's what I picture when I read this. I don't, have you guys seen the movie The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings? There's a scene where the orcs are marching onto Minas Tirith. 
And there's these huge trolls that are just pounding on these drums. I don't know, can you remember that? Thousands and thousands and thousands of orcs that are marching to the beat of these drums. And if you were watching that in the movie theater, which I know you're too young to have done that, but it would just be like shaking with the, the marching of, the, of that army. And that's the trampling boots of war. And the garments, the war garments, when light comes, when this king of light comes, there will be no more need for those boots. There will be no more need for those garments. They're nothing but driftwood. All they, their only purpose would be just throw them in the fire. Just keep the fire going. So not only does joy replace fear, and not only does freedom replace oppression, but also peace replaces conflict. So, if you heard this in 700 B.C., and you hear this amazing promise that light is coming, and that with it, joy is coming, peace is coming, freedom's coming. I think you, we would all be thinking, what kind of army is this? Where's the army? Where's the army that's greater than the Assyrian army? The Assyrians that are so confident so arrogant, so powerful, so violent, so wicked. Where's the army that can conquer them? Where's the, where's the more skilled warriors? Who has the bigger bomb? Who has the bigger air force? Who has the bigger navy? That's the kind of the way that we're thinking. Like the way that you conquer a wicked foe is by having a greater army. But then we come to the surprise of the promise, and this is the Christmas verse. This is verse 6. What in the world is it going to be that's going to come and bring light to displace darkness? And verse 6 says, for unto us a child will be born. A child. <laughs> so... I could not help. We've been in 1 Corinthians all semester. I don't know if you remember that. But 1 Corinthians 1 talks about the cross. The world sees the cross as foolish, and the world sees the cross as weak. And God shows the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world to display his wisdom and display his strength. In a similar way here, this is kind of the way God does God shows something that's weak in the world's eyes. God shows something that's innocent. God shows something that's vulnerable to say, I'm going to bring peace. I'm going to bring joy. I'm going to bring freedom. I'm going to bring light through this child. I'm going to bring light through a greater king. And the government's going to be on his shoulders. In other words, he's going to bring in a new kingdom. And it's going to be awesome. So what kind of king is this child? What kind of king will this king of light be? Well, the promise says 
His name is Wonderful Counselor. And if you read through the book of Isaiah, or you read through the greater story of the Old Testament, there were a lot of counselors in the Old Testament. There were a lot of counselors in the book of Isaiah that did not give good advice. There were a lot of counselors that just spoke what everyone wanted them to hear. There were a lot of counselors that were more concerned about their fame and about being liked than they were about the truth. But this counselor is different. This counselor is divine. This counselor has the DNA of of glory pumping through his body. And he sees, this counselor sees everything with absolute clarity. He sees the beginning from the end. He sees the motives. He sees the heart. He sees the greater unfolding plan of God. There's never been anyone that's lived ever in history, in the history of the world, there's never been anyone that's lived that sees back into the past with greater clarity than this counselor. There's never been anybody that's ever lived that's been able to see into the future with as much clarity as this counselor. There's never been anybody that's ever lived that's been able to make as much sense of the present, the present circumstances, the present dilemmas as this counselor. And this counselor is not just here because he's paid to be here. He's not just here because it's his job. He's here because he's wonderful. He's the wonderful counselor. And that word wonderful doesn't mean that this king of light is like really great. He's a really great counselor. The word wonderful is also translated miracle. This counselor is the miracle-working counselor. This counselor can actually put lives back together. This counselor can actually bind up broken hearts. His name is Mighty God. So he's not just wise, he's also powerful. And this word mighty can also be translated as warrior. So this child, this king of light, he wants to fight for you. He has come to push back darkness for you, and he's able to do it. There's never been a story that this king of light cannot rewrite. There's never been a sea that he can't part. There's never been a mountain that he can't move. There's never been an agenda that he can't overcome. He is our mighty warrior. His name is Everlasting Father. The Everlasting Father. And I always, I always, I don't don't know what to say whenever I talk about God being Father in a room like this because so many of you have come from um, broken homes. So many of you have come There's a lot of different dads in the stories in this room. And so some of you read something like this about this king of light, that he is an everlasting father. You're not sure. That doesn't sound like good news to you. Because maybe your dad was abusive. Or maybe your dad wasn't in the story. He was apt. Maybe your dad was in the story but he never cared. He was passive. I, there's, there's a lot of different 
dads and kinds of dads represented here. I heard one pastor, when, when he, he was talking about when you read in the scripture about God being our father, he's, and I think this was helpful for me, he said, God is not just a bigger version of your earthly dad. He's the exact, he's the perfect, he's the perfect representation of who your dad was meant to be. And so this, this name of this child king, this king of light, is supposed to kind of connotate compassion and kindness. When I was a kid, my dad would love to take me fishing. And we went on an overnight fishing trip one time. He had got a new van. It was, a, it was an old Ford turtle top van. And I brought a picture of a van, not our van, but a van like it. Um, that is actually a picture of me and my dad uh, fishing. But we drove to this, I mean, we were miles from the highway at this, this watershed that we used to fish at. And we were parked there, and we hardly got any fishing done because about as soon as we got there, it started pouring down rain. I mean, just gushing rain, raining cats and dogs. And so we retreated to the van. And that old van, the couch in the back seat, laid down into a bed. So we had it laid down into a bed. And for hours, my dad and I sat on that bed, and he found a deck of cards in the van, and we played poker. <laughs> and there was no cell phones. There was no data. There was no Wi-Fi. I had my dad's undivided attention. And so we'd deal out the hand, and he'd look at his card, and he'd say, oh, man, I bet $100,000. And I'd call, and we'd look at our cards, and he'd like, oh, man, he lost. He'd, oh, he'd, you know, he'd play it up, and I was so excited. And we'd, he's like, let's play again. And so by the end of that night, my dad owed me like over $2 million. <laughs> And he was laughing, I was laughing, we were having such a great time, and I felt so safe, I felt so right, I just felt so important. That's everlasting father. But the thing is, is like, as I've gotten older, as my dad's gotten older, our relationship has changed. Um, like, I still love, in fact, I called him on the way here, but it's not like it was when I was a kid. I'm bigger than him now. I'm stronger than he is now. It's kind of, kind of different. That's never going to happen with God. He's the everlasting Father. And then his name is Prince of Peace. And our world is riddled with anxiety. Conflict is like the air that we breathe, isn't it? We fight over politics. We fight over church. Structures, we fight over church methodologies, we fight over sports teams, we fight over who's allowed to play on sports teams, we fight over money, we fight over opportunities, we fight over romance, we fight over who gets to do what, we, get, we fight over who has what. But here in Isaiah 9, the promise is that when Christmas comes, when light pushes back darkness, the Prince of Peace would come. So here's what we've read. In the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our hurt and brokenness and anger and anxiety, God will bring his light. He's going to bring it in a child. 
The child's name's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the last verse, verse seven, says the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies, this is pretty cool, isn't it? That doesn't say the Lord of armies is going to accomplish this. It says the zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. The passion, the passion of God will accomplish this. The ESV, the, the, the NASB are a little bit, they're literal translations. They start this verse saying, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there is no end. Jesus isn't just the next king. He's not just a king. He is the king forever. And his kingdom is increasing forever. There is no end. So the way I think about it, like I'm amazed at light. I'm amazed at the, how light changes the whole focus of a room. And I'm amazed at the speed of light, that light travels at 186,000 miles per second, right? Why does it travel that fast? Because God said, let there be light. And immediately light began to pierce the darkness. And today, it is still piercing the darkness at 186,000 miles per second. It hasn't quit. It doesn't stop. The universe is continuing to expand as light continues to push and push and push. Why would we think that his kingdom's any different? So it's not just like he's going to build a house and that's it. Of his increase, there is no end. So it's kind of like this, that if you are in Christ, that a thousand years from now, you could be sitting on a hill in glory and something will happen that just overwhelms you and you're just like, wow, wow, God, you are so powerful. I mean, I knew you were powerful, but oh my goodness, I didn't know you were that powerful. Wow. And then 5,000 years from that day, something will happen. You'll be like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? God, you are so kind. You are so gloriously compassionate. It's amazing. I've always known you were compassionate, but oh, wow. And then 10,000 years from that day, something will happen. You'll be like, oh my goodness, God, the peace that you bring is just mind-blowing. And then a million years from that day, you'll be like, I love this. I love this kingdom. It's ever-increasing, and I'm all about it. And that's fantastic news because you know why? Good things, great things, eventually we get bored with it. My number one song on my Spotify rap was I Speak Jesus by Charity Gale. I love that song. But there's going to come a day where I was like, I just don't want to listen to it as much. That's never going to happen in the kingdom of God. His kingdom is ever increasing. So that's Christmas that's our 
king of light. And so I want to pray for you, and we're going to sing a few more songs to close. And here's, here's what I want to pray for you, and here's what I want to ask you. I want to, I want to close um, our time this semester with this question. In your own life, where does... Where do you feel like the darkness is winning? Does that make sense? So, based on this passage, maybe you could ask yourself this. Where does fear seem to be overtaking my joy? The darkness is winning. Where does conflict seem to be overwhelming my peace? Where does oppression overwhelm my freedom? And so it's not like, you know, you're not, we're not thinking like slaves, like maybe back in Isaiah 9. We're thinking just, I'm a slave to addiction. I'm a slave to social media. I'm a slave to pornography. I'm a slave to, you know, where does, where does freedom seem to be bound up by oppression? The darkness is winning. And so I just want to invite you as we pray to name that, just to, to, to name that. Where is the darkness winning? And just ask for light to come. The king of light. So would you help me? Would you help me? So Father, we thank you for this promise. We thank you for the promise of Christmas. And we thank you that seven centuries later, you fulfilled your promise and you brought a child into this world that could bear the weight of all of our sin. You are amazing. And we thank you that we are living in a time where we can expect and hope for him to come back again. And finally and completely shatter the yoke of oppression. You are good. And so God, in your goodness, and God, in your rightness, and God, in your clarity, in your wisdom, would you reveal, help us name things, where the darkness is winning. And we ask that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, the King of light. In Jesus' name.